Hi, my name is Rod Cleef. I'm host of the Lifetime Cashflow Podcast. And I want to take a second and talk about my friend Adam Adams and his events. Now, I've been blessed to speak at his events, and I know he's known as one of the top meetup organizers on the planet. But let me just say this about Adam. If he's, if he's having an event, go to it. Adam focuses on adding absolutely as much value as possible. He comes with my highest endorsement. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. I cannot believe that we are already in this far into August and coming up to the Raising Money Summit. It's only a few weeks away. I've got a bunch of amazing speakers and I want you to hear from them now. So check out what a couple of them are going to be speaking about at the Raising Money Summit. And I'll see you there October 3rd, 4th and 5th. Hi everyone, my name is Ramakrishna. One of the important aspects that changed my business is how I get my soft commitments. And I'm going to explain you the step-by-step process, how you can get $3 million of sub-commitment for your next either multifamily deal or a startup or whatever that you're trying to raise capital. You know, come see me in Denver in October 1st week. Don't miss this. And then you will be really amazed how soft commitments will help you not to be nervous in raising money for your next deal. Thank you. See you there. Hi, I'm Jillian Sidoti from one of the top syndication law firms in the country, Trowbridge Sidoti, crowdfundinglawyers.net. And there's a massive controversy going on right now in the world of raising private money. And that has to do with using your network to raise money for you. I see a lot of people doing this. I get a lot of phone calls about it. And a lot of people are doing it wrong. I want you to do it right. I want you to do it right. I want you to raise more money than you ever have before. And I want you to use your network. So I'm going to teach you how to rock your network for your money raising. You will raise more money this year than you ever have before if you follow what I tell you October 3rd through the 5th at the annual Raising Money Summit. It's in Denver. You need to join us. The annual Raising Money Summit, October 3rd through 5th. And I'm going to teach you how to rock your network to raise more money than you ever have before. Hey, this is Matt Terrio of Epic Real Estate, and I've had this date marked on my calendar for a really long time. I'm looking forward to coming to Denver in October to share my secrets to raising private capital. I've raised millions using three specific, small, simple little questions that anyone can use, and I'm not going to hold anything back. If you're there, you're going to know them, and you'll be able to raise millions too. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams, and I'm here to save your butt. Actually, Mauricio's here to save your butt. And here's the thing, guys and girls, anyone watching, anyone listening, the problem is you're probably raising money wrong. That's the truth. You're most likely raising money wrong. You're doing a fix and flip. You have a couple of passive investors. You're probably doing it wrong. You're doing a large multifamily thing and you have a 506B if you even know what that is and you're going to a meetup and you're promoting it to everybody at that meetup, you're probably doing something wrong. You're probably breaking securities law and we don't want you to do that. I'm here with Mauricio Raul on the show he is a securities attorney. He worked heavily with the real estate guys. If you don't know them, you're crazy. You're probably dead. You're probably somewhere else because the real estate guys are changing the face of real estate here in the United States. And Mauricio worked directly with them as a securities attorney. Whitney Sewell is watching live right now, Mauricio. Anything you want to say to Whitney while uh, while he's on? What's up, brother? Thanks for making the connection, my friend. This is going to be awesome. 
So it was Whitney that made the connection between me and Mauricio on email. This guy would be a great addition to your podcast. And absolutely, in the pre-interview, I wish you all were there. I already learned a lot. I know you're about to learn a lot. Mauricio, what got you into securities attorney in the first place? Man, uh, that's a great question. Uh, I just kind of happened to st- stumble on it. You know, after, after I went to law school, I went to join a really great law firm and uh, just happened to do securities laws. Uh, the difference being I was doing litigation. So a lot of trial work, depositions, motions, appellate work, all that kind of stuff, uh, which was interesting. But um, at the end of the day, I realized that's not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to work at a law firm and spend the rest of my life being a slave, even though, don't get me wrong, the law firm was an awesome lifestyle. But um, I just happened to meet the real estate guys while I was working there, and they, they kind of changed my life. Uh, went to work for them in-house. Actually, I was their general counsel for a few years, uh, the Robert and Russ, uh, their companies. And, uh, and then from there, I kind of transitioned into my own practice. I uh, just started my own firm in 2006. Uh, obviously, kept Robin and Russ and the real estate guys as uh, my VIP clients, but then kind of built my practice. And today, 100% of my practice is securities law, syndication law, and 100% of my practice is really uh, helping real estate investors. Uh, most of them are, you know, scaling up and doing large multifamily deals, but uh, all kinds of uh, investments from the real estate world. So that's kind of my, my 22nd version of uh, how I got here. Love it. Love it. Thank you for sharing that. And um, I think obviously you have a lot of experience and you, you started your own practice after working in-house counsel with the real estate guys for years. You started your own in 2006. So it's, it's been quite a while uh, since you started your own. And I know you've worked with a lot of the greats. And, and by that, what I mean is um, ever since, you know, Whitney introduced us, I've, I've literally seen you uh, speaking at events all over the place uh, on tons of other people's podcasts, just adding a ton of value. Uh, I personally know several people that use you as their security attorney. And uh, so it's just really great to connect with you. And I'm excited about the conversation that we're going to have. We've brought a lot of attorneys on the show before. And what we're really talking about today is, is even unique uh, from other things that I've shared on the show. And what Mauricio is going to help you do, you the listener, what Mauricio is really going to help you with is we're going to cover the three things that you have to worry about. You have to worry about these three things when you're running the show and raising private equity. Mauricio, what are those three things? Yeah, well, I know you've had other lawyers on the show, uh, Adam, but uh, I'm one of the few that actually speaks English. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My my good friend, uh, Tom Wheelwright, uh, one of the rich dad advisors, uh, coined that term for me. So uh, I always like to use that. But look, once you're dealing with a security uh, and you recognize that, which, which obviously if you're raising money and you're raising money for bigger deals, you, you're, you're engaged in the sale of security. There's really three things that I always remind people you need to think about. You either need to, one, register that security with the SEC, or number two, you want to find an exemption to registration, or number three, it's illegal. <laughs> it's that simple. Register the syndication, find an exemption, or it's illegal. Um, obviously, we don't want to be engaged in any illegal offerings. Uh, don't want to be Bernie Madoff's cellmate, right? Uh, don't want to be committing any fraud. Uh, but it does go a little bit further than that. It's not just fraud. It's not just intentional wrongdoing. Uh, you, can, you can engage in illegal offerings by making simple omissions, forgetting to put things in there, failure to disclose, failure to provide a PPM, for example, when once required. Uh, maybe paying, this is a big one, paying a referral fee to somebody who brought in money. That's something that's prohibited. A lot of people don't know that, but you cannot pay anybody, not anybody, you can't pay most people a referral fee for bringing in money unless they're an SEC licensed broker dealer. 
So if a buddy comes and says, hey, I can bring in a million bucks for you, but pay me 2% uh, as a kind of a finder or, or a fee, then don't do that. That would be an illegal offering. Um, on the registration side, you never want to do, I don't say never, but you almost never want to do a full-blown registration. And the reason for that is it just takes an enormous amount of time, uh, an enormous amount of money. So think one or two years to get a full-blown registration through the, through the securities bar. Now, how many of you who have offers into your buildings have one or two years to wait for you to, uh, to get, hear back from the SEC and approve your deal? It's just not something realistic. So we're always looking for an exemption to registration, and that's where I live. You know, 100% of my practice is real estate syndications. We're always relying on, a, on, on an exemption. And luckily for us, there's probably two exemptions that 95% of the people rely on, which is what I typically discuss with clients uh, and uh, happy to discuss it here. Perfect. And we will do that. You said uh, one, one term that not everybody knows. And so if, if you could just, you, you mentioned PPM. So if you could just define first, what is a PPM? What does it mean? How do you use it? And then we're going to get right into the part where you uh, dangled that carrot for me. Yeah. So a PPM stands for Private Placement Memorandum, and it's a legal document that essentially discloses all the risks involved in your deal, all the ways your deal can go south, all the disclosures. Uh, it's a pretty scary document. Um, I usually analogize it to a medical consent form. Um, I'm actually, I always tell a story about when I had oral surgery and in fact, I'm going to go in for oral surgery on Monday, so I can probably get a copy of it. But you know, when you go into surgery and they get to that yellow form to, to sign off, it's a medical waiver and says, these are all the ways that could go wrong, even though I'm just pulling your tooth, but you can get an infection, you can, you can get dizzy, you could die. I mean, all those things in the medical consent form, that's what a PPM is. It's just a legal document uh, intended to protect your investors so that they are fully aware of all the risks in your deal. I also like to use it even when it's not required for my clients, the syndicator, because it also protects the syndicator and that if anything goes south, then, and, you know, say, hey, I didn't know that this was an option. You can just point to the PPM and say, look, I disclosed this on page, whatever. And, and we definitely talked about this. And this was a risk that you knew going into the deal. You're absolutely right about speaking English. I appreciate you talking about a PPM in a way that I could understand. And uh, I don't understand most things. So Mauricio, thank you so much. The, so now let's get to the part where we're talking. There's three things that you can do in order to raise money. One, and I'm going to say them backwards. One, you can do it illegally, break the law. Right. Two, you can uh, actually register with the SEC. And the third one is you can find an exemption. Mauricio says that's what he focuses on is helping people find those exemptions. He said it's a good thing because there's usually two exemptions that 95% of those who are doing syndication utilize. So Mauricio, what are those two exemptions? Uh, these all fun, fall under what's called a Regulation D. You may have heard of these. These are Reg D offerings. And uh, the two main ones, and this is probably as technical as we're going to get today, uh, is 506B is in boy and 506C is in Charlie. Those are the two exemptions that we rely on. And they really pivot depending on whether you want to advertise your particular syndication. So uh, they all have restrictions. Um, but if you want to advertise, we're going to go one way. If you don't want to advertise um, and you want to take some non-accredited investors, which we'll talk about in a second, we want to go another way. The reason these are so popular, Adam, is really twofold. One is that they are called what we call safe harbors, meaning if we hit these three or four or five, actually more like five, six or seven points, 
then we are assured of having been, being in compliance with these rules. Where there's no guesswork, there's no arguing, there's no room for interpretation. So that's, that's very nice because you, know, you always want certainty, right? The other big deal is that these actually preempt state law. And that's just a fancy way of saying we basically don't have to worry about the state securities laws to an extent. We still actually, there's still anti-fraud provisions. We still can't be, be Bernie Madoff and, and committing fraud. But we don't have to go hire an attorney in, in the seven or eight or 10 states that you're selling into. We don't have to spend the money on that. Uh, we can rely on this federal exemption, which preempts state law. And because of that, these are the two most popular exemptions out there. Uh, let's talk about 506B first, because this is one, the one that's been around for a long, long time. And honestly, of these two, it's still the one that's used the most. Um, benefit number one or point number one is you can raise an unlimited amount of money which is obviously a nice thing. That's the reason why the big boys, the JP Morgans, uh, Goldman Sachs, all these guys rely on 506B, even though they're raising a billion dollars or $2 billion or whatever these ridiculous numbers are, they rely on 506B. Um, you can accept a limited number of non-accredited investors, so long as they are sophisticated. And so we don't lose anybody. An accredited investor is somebody who either has a million dollars in net worth, excluding their primary residence, or has earned $200,000 the last couple of years and has a reasonable expectation of earning that amount this year. And so for those of you, especially who are just starting and you're relying on friends and family and, and kind of in your inner circle, inevitably some of those are not accredited. And so this is a nice exemption. It allows you to take up to 35 non-accredited investors, which is obviously nice. Um, the big drawback from this exemption is that you are not allowed to advertise or generally solicit. Uh, and this kind of goes back to the point of doing illegal offerings. I think just to make it relevant, Adam, the easiest way people these days are conducting illegal offerings, I think, is on Facebook, quite frankly. Um, you're not allowed to advertise and people are on there advertising. And it's really, really frustrating, especially for my clients, because obviously my clients, you know, I'm telling them not to break the law. And it's not like these people are doing it intentionally, right? These just, they just don't know or they're not checking in with the lawyers. But uh, obviously, if you're pitching your deal online on Facebook, that's a no-no. That's, that's obvious. But even if you're what's called conditioning the market, meaning you're, you're kind of drumming up interest, you're talking about the investors, hey, you know, we, we closed another deal, or hey, we got 20% returns this month, or that kind of you know, excitement, that would be likely considered what's called conditioning the market by the SEC, which is the equivalent of an offer, which would be a violation of, of the advertising rules, which means you would not be... Uh, allowed to rely on this 506B. So that's probably a whole podcast we can do on that. So I won't, won't you know, beat that one to death. But uh, that's a big one in terms of, um, in terms of, in terms of uh, illegal offerings. Um, the other just, those are probably the three main points on the 506B. Uh, there's some what we call bad actor provisions. So if you've been, you know, if you've been convicted before, obviously, of securities frauds or fraud or, or sanctioned by some regulatory body, you may be either barred or, you know, uh, need to disclose that. Um, and then we do have to file a form D, uh, which is just a, it's just a notice filing. It's not actually a prerequisite for the exemption, even though there's a couple of states like Wisconsin that actually takes that position, which they're just wrong. But um, it's just a notice filing. Just tell them, hey, you know, I raised a million bucks from, you know, a couple of non-accredited and this is what the money was used for. And it's basically, I think it's for the SEC to kind of keep track on, on statistics. Uh, and then we have to file a copy of that form D in every single state that you sold into. Um, and again, my cynicism is they just want their filing fees and their taxes because, you know, you, you have to accompany the filing with, a, you know, a couple hundred dollars and maybe five hundred dollars. Uh, careful with New York. New York is like two grand. So 
Um, if you're only raising 25 or 50 grand from someone in New York, think twice about that because you're going to get hit with a $2,000 filing fee. So anyway, that's kind of the general thing. I feel like I'm, I've been babbling on for a while, so I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you get in there, Adam. Yeah, no, no, thank you. I do have a few questions. Um, and some of the questions that I have are meant specifically to just make sure that if somebody's listening, that they really can wake up and know. And by wake up, I don't mean that in a rude way. I mean, specifically, make sure that your eyes are open when you're raising equity, because the problem is that so many people are doing it wrong. Mauricio just mentioned, uh, if we rewind this and you hear him say that again, He's specifically saying he advises his clients to follow the law. And then his clients feel like they're, you know, they're getting held back, right? Because they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're doing, the, they're following the letter of the law and they're keeping themselves out of trouble. And then we see all these people, which is a lot, that are breaking SEC law left and right, conditioning the market or the part that, I really have a hatred for is when people hop onto Facebook and they say, here's the deal. Here's how much I'm raising. Uh, here's the returns I'm offering. And I have a sneaky question for them. And I want you, the listener, to be able to use this same sneaky question. I reach out and I say, hey, I'm not accredited. Uh, I'd like to put in a hundred grand can you take unaccredited investors? And what inevitably happens or has happened 99% of the time I've done that is they're like, yes, I can have up to 35 unaccredited investors. And so the part that I want you to learn from here is what just happened is I know that they're generally soliciting and I know that they can quote have up to 35 unaccredited investors which to me means that they're utilizing a 506B as in boy. That means they are only allowed to talk to their buddies, the people that they know personally, um, and they're not allowed to put it on Facebook, you know, out in the community that you can do with the 506C for the whole community advertising it, right? Yep. And the, the point is, that I'm making is I want you, the listener, to have the same feeling that I have when I see somebody having complete neglect for the law. And what that is, is as soon as I see somebody not being cautious or careful about if they're allowed to advertise or not, it automatically makes me feel as though when I get into a syndication, whether I give them 50 grand, 100 grand, or 25, that they're not going to be following the rules that because they don't have any attention to detail. Have you noticed the same thing, Mauricio? First of all, I think that's a genius idea of making that, that question. Because remember, just because you see somebody advertising on, say, Facebook, doesn't necessarily mean they're breaking the law. They may be relying on an exemption that allows, uh, that does allow advertising. But that poignant question that you make makes it clear that they are violating the law. And absolutely, anytime somebody is cutting corners somewhere, the red flag should pop up and say, well, if they're cutting corners here, where else are they cutting corners? And I typically see that in the PPM, um, I, the private placement memorandum. I see clients, and, and I've had this happen twice, and both times I was right, or both times it turned out wrong, where they'll say me, hey, do you mind taking a look at these offerings? I'm, I'm thinking about investing 100 grand, and I'll look at it, and I'm like, where's the PPM? And it's like, well, he said we didn't need one. And I said, well, are you accredited? It's like, no. 
Well, it's it's required. And I say, look, the, the, the good news for you, or in, you know, in quotations, my the good news is, is if it goes south, they're essentially guaranteeing the investment because the, 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 the remedy for you is rescission, assuming they have the money, which is a big assumption. Um, but both of, those, both of those times, I got a call about a year, a year and a half later, and sure enough, the deal had gone south because once you start cutting corners in one place, probably means they're not using an attorney or maybe not even, and this is an important point too, Adam, maybe they're using an attorney who's not a syndication specialist, right? They may be a real estate investor, they may be their business lawyer, and they're like, oh yeah, I can put together an LLC and put an operating agreement together, no problem. Uh, or, and I've had this issue where they start dabbling in the SEC and they got to go back to the library and research it for every answer, you know, oh, well, 506B, let me go look and see what that means and what, what, what the rules are. Uh, it's very important for you to be working with someone who it, it just really focuses and specializes in securities laws and, and specifically syndications. Something interesting, um, securities law means a lot to me, by the way. I, I care about it more than most people and I try to learn uh, all the little details because I want to do it right. And what I've seen is there's a lot of educators and, and, and you know, I can't throw any of them specifically under the bus. Um, you know, you'll have to figure that out, Mr. or, Ms. Mr. or Mrs. Listener, um, you know, if somebody's doing that right based on what you're learning right now. Um, but just for an example, there is an educator that I'm close with and they always say, oh, you have to file a 506D. They always say you got to file a 506D. And I'm just like, what does this mean? <laughs> are, are you supposed to be educating people on how to, how to get into the business? And I think people specifically confuse Regulation D and Form D with the 506Bs and Cs. If, right. if you don't mind, I want to make sure that none of our listeners uh, ever make that mistake, whether they become an educator or not. Um, it is it, it's really good to sound credible. So what is a 506B, what's a C, and what's a 506D. Well, the 506B is one of the one of the exemptions that we're relying on. And again, I think 95%, I think it's the last statistic I saw, 95% of the people rely on 506B as in boy, right? And that's that's the exemption. We kind of just went through those bullet points and as you know, un, un, unlimited amount of money. You can take up to 35 non-accredited investors as long as they're sophisticated and you can not solicit. 506C is sort of the follow-up to that, and this this is a new, relatively new law, although now it's been since 2013, so it's been, what, six years now, almost six years, uh, and this was a result of the JOBS Act back in 2012, which is when we just had come out of a recession, and they were trying to, you know, the, the markets had tightened up, so the Congress was trying to kind of loosen up the rules a little bit, so they came out with 506C, which allowed you to advertise even though you weren't necessarily going public, right? Because when you're advertising, it almost seems like it's a public offering when private placements are supposed to be private, but you're allowed to now, you're allowed to advertise now into 506C. And I thought, this is great. This is going to open up everybody's world. You want to go on the, you get an ad in the Super Bowl, knock yourself out. You want to go on podcasts, Facebook marketing, anything you want, uh, sky's the limit. The only limitation, there's really two, is that you can only accept accredited investors only, right? So no non-accredited only accredited investors only, and you must take what's called reasonable steps to verify that they are accredited, meaning you cannot rely on their representation. You can't just have them check the box and say, hey, I'm accredited and, and rely on that as you can in 506B. You have to call what's called reasonable steps to verify, which typically means tax returns, uh, you know, W-2s, depending, depending on what you're, you're trying to claim. Uh, that's a little bit messy, especially if you're getting people you don't know. And so I always recommend clients use a third-party verification company 
they'll do all the dirty work for you. They'll verify the investors and then they'll get, you won't see any of their financials, but that's one of the, the hangups. If you've just met somebody, you're asking for the financials, they're like, you know, that's not, you know, whatever, why? Hey, my friend, it's Adam Adams. And I want to take a moment to just share a couple quick things with you. And, and really it just starts off with the, the love and the passion that I have for hosting the events that I've been doing. I've hosted well over 300 events. It's insane to even think about that. But my events have a reputation of being the best events in the country for adding true value when you attend. If you haven't yet been to one of my events, I encourage you to plan to be at the Raising Money Summit on October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Here's a couple clips of people that are going to be there speaking. I know this event's gonna be valuable to you, and I hope you go to raisingmoneysummit.com and get your tickets today and click in podcast. That's gonna give you a discount to this event and the entire month of August, that'll be 20% off. 20% off your tickets. There's three levels of tickets. I encourage you to hear these two people out. And then at the end, make sure you go to Raising Money Summit, sign up today, and I will see you on October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Hi, everyone. My name is Ramakrishna. The most important thing, aspect in raising money is the soft commitments. Come see me in Denver, uh, October 1st week. I'm going to explain the step-by-step -step process, what I did to get $3 million of sub-commitment sub from a next multifamily deal. If you're raising for a multifamily or a startup or any other business idea that you have, come see me in Denver. You're gonna have you know, every step that I did, I'm going to explain you. You can do the same thing, get $3 million, $5 million, $10 million of sub-commitment for your next deal. See you in Denver. Hey, this is Jason Yurusi of the Yurusi Holdings. Excited for the Raising Money Summit coming up in October. Going to be an awesome event. I'm going to be there giving you the four hurdles that you need to make sure you're surpassing so you can raise millions of dollars this next year from passive investors. It's going to be breaking down what I've done on past deals and how I use it going forward on all my future deals to make sure that I'm aligning with my passive investors. Looking forward to it. Hi, I'm Jillian Sidoti. I'm from one of the top legal firms in the country that focuses on syndication and real estate and raising money and I'm going to be at the Raising Money Summit. I'm from one of the top syndication law firms in the country and what I'm going to be teaching you is about how to use your network to raise more capital. There's big controversy right now on this subject because there's a lot of people out there raising money from their network using other people to raise money for them and they're doing it all wrong. Well, fear not because if you come to the Raising Money Summit on October 3rd through the 5th in Denver, I'm going to teach you how to do it the right way. I promise you, if you follow what I tell you on October 3rd through 5th at the annual Raising Money Summit, October 3rd through 5th, I'm gonna teach you how to rock your network to raise more money than you ever have before. Hey, this is Matt Terrio, CEO of Epic Real Estate, and I'm really looking forward to October. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while to come and show people my three secret questions of how I've been able to raise millions of dollars for my deals and how I've built a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio using very little to my own of my own money. No banks involved, no credit score needed. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to give it all to you. So you, you, go to a, you go to a third party, they do the verification for you, and then they give you a, a letter, a, a deliverable that says, hey, I've done the research, I've taken reasonable steps to verify, and I'm telling you this guy's accredited, you're good to go, you can rely on that. 
An even easier way to do it, Adam, is, is using a, what's called a CPA verification letter, uh, which um, is just a letter from your CPA who obviously is familiar with your, with your financials and has been filing your tax returns, so they know your information and they can verify for you. You've got to be careful because there's got to be certain things in the letter that needs, needs to be in there for it to be legit. It's got to be dated within 90 days. Um, I've got a couple of templates that I use. I'm happy to share those with your, with your listeners at some point. Uh, but those are kind of the easy ways to, uh, to me, that's what I would do. And it's really inexpensive. It's actually about, depending on how many people you have, it's maybe 80, 90, a hundred dollars a head. So to me, it's a no brainer. You put that in your budget and, you know, a couple grand or whatever, and, and you pay a third party to do that. Um, and then a form D, not a 506 B, a D, a form D is this notice filing that is required to be made. It's, uh, you have to file that with the SEC within 15 days of your first sale. So there's a timing issue. So I've got a guy who will be just hammering you if you're getting close to that 15 days. Like, get me the info, get me the info, because we got to get this filing done. Uh, and then every time you file, uh, you, you sell a particular state, so let's say you have an investor from Texas, then you have 15 days from that sale in the state of Texas to file a copy of that Form D with the state of Texas. And don't forget to accompany that with a nice check, which again, that's really what I think the states are looking for. Uh, and the states are bored, right? They're sitting there twiddling their thumbs because they've been stripped away of most of their power now because everything now is at the federal level. So typically, if something goes wrong, you're going to get a phone call from the states, not necessarily the SEC, uh, because again, I, I, I joke that they're just bored. And, and if they see something wrong, especially when it comes to fraud, because that's where they get into it, or if you fail to, fail to disclose something or didn't do a PPM or didn't file a Form D, they'll jump all over you because they've got nothing better to do. And I hope there's no uh, state guys watching, and I apologize. Love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So something that will be really valuable to those who listen to my show, there's a, there's a lot of folks that, um, that are learning to really raise equity and do other roles and become part of a general partnership and share in the responsibilities of managing that property, uh, managing the passive investors. Um, and I know that there's a bit of a controversy on the way that that can work legally or not legally, whether somebody has a Series 7, a Series 6, a Series 30-something, whatever all these um, ways right. of ra- basically being able to raise the equity um, and, and have money uh, as a result or you know, be based on, okay, you raised uh, 500000 you get x percent you raise a million to get y percent you you know you raise two million we're going to give you 35 percent or whatever so if you could just help the listener who wants to partner with people that have a true track record and already know how to find deals but but they have the skill of really um having good relationships with people that are accredited how does somebody make raising equity and becoming part of a general partnership, something where it's truly legal? Yeah, a great question. That, that does come up quite a bit. Uh, it's challenging because, as I mentioned earlier, you are not allowed to receive compensation, and certainly not transaction-based compensation, which, which if you're tying a percentage to the raise, that's, that's clear transaction-based conversation. If you start doing that, then you're starting to act like a broker-dealer, and you need a license. It's just like if you start you know, practicing medicine, Without a license, that's going to be a problem. Or you start practicing law without a problem, you cannot be out there advising clients and, and taking compensation, uh, and that's what you're doing. And so the way we handle that is if you join 
the joint, uh, the GP, or in this case, it's really a manager, but I know the GP is kind of the vernacular that a lot of people use, then as long as you're doing actual work, you cannot just be raising money because the fact that you received equity in the deal, a portion of the GP side, doesn't mean that's not transaction-based compensation. Whether I give you $100,000 or I give you 5% of the company, that's still compensation. That's still transaction-based compensation. So if you're ever in front of a regulator and they ask you, Adam, I see here that you own 5% of the deal. What did you do for this? Your answer cannot be, oh, I raised the money because that's an illegal transaction. You don't have a license. You have to be doing something else. And of course, that something else is, is where you get a little bit in the gray area. The question which I get is always, and I get it, is, you know, well, how, what do I need to do? Can I just do this or can I just do that? And you really have to think of yourself as a true co-sponsor, right? You have to be doing actual work. Uh, ideally, you're a co-manager and have just as much, uh, you know, decision-making authority as all the rest. Uh, but at the very least, you're doing investor relation work. You're helping with underwriting. You're ideally doing maybe some due diligence and boots on the ground. You've got to be doing legit work. And in exchange for that, you can now be a percentage owner along with the other co-sponsors. There's nothing that says that everybody has to be equal, right? Just because there's three of you, it doesn't say that you have to be a third, a third, a third, but it has to be commensurate with the amount of work you're doing. But just think of, just in your mind, think of that. If you took away the capital raising portion of what you're doing, so if they ask the question, you can't bring that up, that can't be your answer, what is your answer? And if your answer seems a little weak, especially compared to how much you're getting, then that's going to be a problem. So what we have done is when we go into a, a contract or a memorandum of understanding with syndicators that have been doing the business for a long time. And Mauricio, I'm really bouncing this off of you now and allowing listeners to learn from us together. So, so when we do it, what we have done in the memorandum of understanding is said, uh, we were, we're going to partner with you and then we give, we give a bunch of roles. Uh, we're going to do this, you know, due diligence. We're going to do our own underwriting. We're going to manage any passive investors that we bring in. We're going to do this. So we'll, we'll name like four things or five things. And one of the things that we do um, is, is just say, and we'll, and we'll raise up to 500000 in equity. And I like personally to use the up to um, because what I... Uh, intend on is that as we say these are all of the roles raise up to 500 and then our compensation let's just say is 20,000 of the acquisition our compensation our as a as coming in as a partner with you as a co-gp and doing all five of these things or four of these things uh, we'll take 20,000 of the general part of the acquisition fee and we'll take three and a half percent of the general partner and we'll you know will be in on all the calls. So this is this has been what we usually send. And um, I've been pretty adamant, like if, if we don't, let's just say we said we'll raise 500 and we raise 350 or something. Um, we've been of the mind that, that you, don't, you don't change the percentages of ownership or the percentages of the acquisition fee because once you do, then it looks like we're, uh, having a compensation based on how much we're bringing in. What are your, well, first off, uh, from if somebody else heard that and resonated with it and liked to do it, what holes could you poke into it so that they can learn? Yeah, so a, a great question. Let, let me just kind of give a couple of general thoughts. So number one, it, 
I don't care what you call this. If you call it a memorandum of understanding, you know, people try and get it. And I'm not saying we're getting around. So I'm just making a general point here. But it doesn't matter the name of the, the document that you have. Just because you call something a marketing agreement or this, that doesn't matter, right? The, the, the regulator is going to look through that and, and actually look at what you actually did. And it's your burden, not the SEC's. It's your burden to prove that whatever you're saying you did, that you did. So if you are actually doing the marketing and you're doing the, you know, preparing the doc, you know, the pitch deck or the business plan, whatever, anything you're doing, you, you have to be able to show that you did that because that's going to be on your, on your thing. But assuming you did all those things, and again, ex excellent point, not tie it to compensation. So whether you raised 300 grand, 500 grand, or let's say you didn't raise any money. If you didn't raise any money, you should still get the 20 grand. Because it's not based on the amount of money you raise. It's about the work that you put in. So you're getting compensated for the work that you're generating, not the amount of money you raise. And I get a little nervous, and this is going to be more of a case by case, but I get even a little nervous putting that piece of it in there. Like I would prefer to leave it out and say, we're doing all these things and we're going to get paid 20 grand and we're going to get paid, you know, 2% of, uh, you know, you're going to give me X amount of equity. Uh, and you did the work. So whether you raise money or not, well, you you know you you would never get not get paid because you know you didn't raise money. You did the work. Uh, and I would almost leave that out as almost like a fringe benefit. You know, obviously you're gonna have you know because you're a co-sponsor now, you're gonna have access to my again. This is not putting it in the document. You obviously have access to your database, and so you you can start reaching out to them because it's it's your syndication as well, right? You're not it's not a service you're providing. You are literally a co-sponsor now, and that brings a ton of responsibilities, right? I mean, if, let's just be honest from a, from a legal standpoint, if this deal goes south, you're a co-sponsor, you're going south with it, right? You're going to be named in the lawsuit. So that's one way you can do it, but understand that there's a lot of risk and, and liability that, that ties upon it. So you, as you said, you want to really be doing your due diligence on whatever operator you're working with or, or co-sponsor um, because, well, not only do you want to make sure they're not a bad actor, we talked about that being a restriction, but you want to make sure that they're, they're doing it. And what I really would stress, because this is coming up a lot lately, and I think it's going to come up a ton once the market, uh, you know, flattens out or maybe even starts going down at some point, is you, you want to have some, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, some checks and balances with your operator. I have, I have people where they just, they just let them go and they do whatever they want to do, and then they find out later they've been doing stuff, bad stuff. And you're going to be on the hook for that. So you want to make sure that, you know, somehow they're communicating, they're reporting to the team, you know what's going on with them. And it's not a situation where, oh my God, this guy, you know, suddenly took all this money and ran off with it or didn't do something or was commingling funds or took money to do something that they weren't supposed to, even though you're clean because you guys are partners now and general partners, you guys are all going to be on the hook. So you want to make sure you have some kind of checks and balances or some procedures in place that, uh, you know, you guys are looking over each other's shoulders. You mentioned something that uh, I have a, a small story about, and I'll push right through it. But you mentioned bad actor. You, you mentioned what that is, is really somebody who's already been, had a violation, a securities violation um, in the past. And you mentioned how important it is really to do your due diligence on those people that you're working with. And I'll tell you, honestly, there was a-, a Thanks for sharing that. We're going to partner with a team and one of the people actually hid themselves off of the main LLC and they created another LLC and that LLC was like a, a partner and um, I skipped it. I personally skipped it and on my podcast, I always share with all my passive investors and anyone listening, 
you gotta you gotta do your due diligence on everybody and and then here I was I I, I neglected it I missed it I, I was like eh, I don't want to do due diligence on an LLC that owns an LLC I, that seemed crazy to me and what's really wonderful is one of my podcast listeners who is also uh, one of our higher passive investors uh, they did the extra due diligence and they found out that we had a bad actor that they were hiding it through this way so that just shows you that Adam could make the mistake anyone can make this same mistake and if you're going to get in business whether you're a co-GP with that bad actor or you're a limited partner in that you're exposed to some risk now I would have been exposed to a lot more risk as a general partnership and as somebody who's been doing the business for just two years. Mauricio's been in this business on his own for 15, 14 years since leaving the company in the 2013. Uh, 16 years, whatever it is. Anyway, <laughs> some number. I've been doing it for 19. More than, 19, more than yeah. a dozen. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And here I was. And now if I would have, if I would have went through with that, and whether something, whether it was perfect, everybody got paid right or not, I really truly believe that my name would be tarnished and tainted for, for years and years and years to come. I don't think I'd, yeah, I'd be able to have the success that I will have in 10 years from now because I feel like just making that one mistake could have, could have um, been something that lasted a really long time. So I just think it's important that when Mauricio says, these details and what could possibly happen that we share a real live example of like how this can affect you as an LP you could lose your investment as a GP you could you could lose the investment and the invest and the non-recourse loan could become recourse and you could own part you could owe part of that uh, loan and they could call it due in a in an instant and that could be millions so that you become in debt but now it's not just the money immediately. It's really your reputation. If you're getting into this business as a syndicator, I really hope that you're looking at it as the long-term, 30 years play. This isn't a get-rich-over-night type of a business. It's a get-massively-flipping-wealthy-over-time business. And part of that is your own integrity and following your heart and doing the due diligence that's hard that I almost missed, that I, I personally did miss, actually. I'm trying to put a blanket over it. No, I missed it. I'm grateful that I had a passive investor that listens to what I was sharing so that they could find out um, that we were almost in a really sticky situation. So, those of you listening, I hope you really learned a thing or two about 506B, 506C, and um, really just when can you advertise? When can you not advertise? Mauricio Raul is a fantastic resource. If you're really wanting to do this business and you want to reach out to somebody who knows exactly what they're doing, Mauricio is going to be somebody who, who like he said a second ago, I think he, 19 years in the business or something like this, um, you know, since some of us were born and he's been <laughs> practicing syndication law. And, um, so, Mauricio, will, will you do me and the listener a giant favor and just let us know your company, the name of the company that you run, and, and how they can find you and, uh, and get a hold of you? 
Yeah, sure. So uh, my company is called Premier Law Group. Um, uh, it's premierlawgroup.net on the website. Um, if you email me at team, T-E-A-M, team at premierlawgroup.net, um, I've got a report called the eight critical steps to practicing safe syndication. Uh, I'm happy to send that over to you. And I think I referenced a couple of resources on the show. And if you want any of those, uh, just include that in the email and I'm happy to send it to you. Uh, and I've also started, I've just started. So I actually would appreciate it if people went over there. I just Literally this week, started my YouTube channel. Uh, I've been posting some videos on Facebook that have been very well received. They've tra transitioned over to Facebook. So if you want to get some free videos on some kind of interesting topics, uh, at least on the legal side, interesting is, is maybe up to debate. <laughs> but at least on the legal, if you're interested in syndication, I'd appreciate you going over there, taking a look, obviously subscribe, anything like that would help me. And just let me know how I can add value. That's my whole, my whole stick now is just how can I add value? Happy to do that and uh, reach out to me and I'm happy to help. I definitely want to have you on the show again. I really appreciate you coming at it with, you know, English instead of law speak, um, something where we can really understand how to do what we need to do to be able to do this legally. Like you said, there's three ways to raise money. You can either do it completely illegally and hurt yourself in the future. You can register it with the Securities and Exchange Commission, or you can find one of these exemptions where you still have to file a Form D, but yeah, you have to be able to pass on all parts of the exemption, like you said, with the Reg D 506B and the Reg D 506C. Learned a ton from you. I appreciate it. I hope people do go to premierlawgroup.net. Again, that's .net, not any other ending. It's premierlawgroup.net. And I've went ahead and I've thrown that into both the Facebook as well as right here on the iTunes podcast. So you can scroll down into the show notes and click. Mauricio, thanks for coming on. And until next time, my friend, think outside the box. I hope you decide to go ahead and grab your ticket to the Raising Money Summit this year. The networking is going to be outrageous. So I hope you'll accept my invitation to come to the Raising Money Summit by going to Raising Money Summit dot com check out the speaker lineup check out the already amazing ticket prices that we have and grab your discount for it as well just put in podcast so that's your promo code that's your discount code i definitely want to see you there october 3rd 4th and 5th hey this is matt terrio of epic real estate and i've had this date marked on my calendar for a really long time i'm looking forward to coming to denver in october to share my secrets to raising private capital. I've raised millions using three specific, small, simple little questions that anyone can use. And I'm not gonna hold anything back. If you're there, you're gonna know them and you'll be able to raise millions too. Hi, I'm Jillian Sidoti from one of the top syndication law firms in the country, Trowbridge Sidoti, crowdfundinglawyers.net. And there's a massive controversy going on right now in the world of raising private money. And that has to do with using your network to raise money for you. I see a lot of people doing this. I get a lot of phone calls about it. And a lot of people are doing it wrong. I want you to do it right. I want you to do it right. I want you to raise more money than you ever have before. And I want you to use your network. So I'm going to teach you how to rock your network for your money raising. You will raise more money this year than you ever have before if you follow what I tell you October 3rd through the 5th at the annual Raising Money Summit. It's in Denver. You need to join us. The annual Raising Money Summit, October 3rd through 5th. And I'm going to teach you how to rock your network to raise more money than you ever have before. 
Hey, this is Jason Yerusi of the Yerusi Holdings. Excited for the Raising Money Summit coming up in October. Going to be an awesome event. I'm going to be there giving you the four hurdles that you need to make sure you're surpassing so you can raise millions of dollars this next year from passive investors. It's going to be breaking down what I've done on past deals and how I use it going forward on all my future deals to make sure that I'm aligning with my passive investors. Looking forward to it.